Okay, okay, we are back. Welcome to Crime Pursuit Podcast. I am your host, Ed Bounds, along with Camille Flores. And we're not here for a a brand new pursuit. Um, We have our special, our bonus episode, excuse me, our bonus episode, SVE, Special Victims Episode. Camille, uh, go ahead and give us a rundown of what what we got. All right, so... Today we have Rose, and she is from North Carolina area, and when I came um, across her story, um, it was one that I knew that I really wanted to speak with her, and I really wanted her um, on to get recorded for a few reasons, but one main one was because, you know, we usually talk to the survivors, and this one is one that I felt was really special. Um, she, her daughters were the, or are the survivors. And so her mom is, she's the mom and she's advocating for her girls. And we don't usually hear a lot of these stories. And so I really, really wanted to get her on to have her share her story of her girls being abused because we usually hear the opposite of, you know, people, the, parents weren't believing their daughters and so it's really really nice to have a mom advocating for her kids and so that's what this is one reason why I wanted to have her on here so I will let you Rose go ahead and can tell us your story yes yes Rose welcome to the show oh thank you so much for having me um well um yes indeed I I have um two biological daughters that were victimized um, by my ex-husband. Um, there was a third victim as well. That was my stepdaughter. So my ex-husband's oldest biological child. Um, and we have, in total, we have four biological children um, together. Um, I'm a mom of five. Um, so uh, you have my oldest daughter and my second oldest daughter, who is biologically his, were the victims of his crimes, including my stepdaughter. Um, in 2016, um, I was notified of the sexual abuse claims by my oldest child, um, who reported it to a school counselor, and an investigation began. Um, the investigation in particular um, lasted about seven days before he was um detained. Um, He was charged with somewhere around 28 felony counts. At the time, uh, I was only aware of um, two of the victims. Um, And it's just, it's been a really long, difficult journey. Um, He's been incarcerated now for four years. He pled guilty um, to lesser reduced charges two years after being um, taken into custody. Um, and just throughout this process, I discovered um, the third victim, which is my second oldest daughter as well. Um, she had came forward um, through counseling. Um, and it's just, it's it's been tough. Um, there's a lot of details that, you know, specific details of the abuse. Um, I don't want to get too much into detail about that just for their privacy and trauma triggers and things like that in case they hear the podcast. Um, 
but you know, I, I just want to advocate for other mothers out there that, you know, maybe feeling confused or conflicted about what to do in these circumstances, um, because it's very tough as as a parent, as a wife, to come to the realization that the person that you married and fathered your children um, is such a evil predator. Yes, it, 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 it is. It is. Now, let me ask you, you said that this was hard for you. What yes. what was your reaction when you first found out? Um, initially, I was just in complete shock, um, perhaps even some denial, um, just because of the confusion and how quickly things came out without warning. Um, I think that there is some normalcy to being in denial, not in a neglectful way towards my daughter in any way, um, but just more or less of, you know, how could this happen? Is this possible? Where was I? How did I not know? Um, a lot of those thoughts just kind of overwhelm you and you don't know how to sort sort it out or process it in your brain when you think that you have had one, a life one way and then it just quickly changes like in the blink of an eye. Um, so it took a couple of days to, to kind of process it. Um, to get over the initial shock. Um, and then really just over the course of time, just being in therapy and speaking with close friends and family to help me cope with the realization that, wow, you know, this, this person is disgusting. Um, and there's just a lot of difficulty. I mean, as a mother, you feel like you should protect your kids that you should know what's going on in their life at all times. And so I felt so much shame and guilt personally um, because I didn't know. Okay, well, help me with this. Um, and if you don't have to get into the details of it, but... Sure. What did you, when you confronted him, what did you say? Um, actually, I did confront him. I was not supposed to. Um, so that actually was upsetting to the detectives because you're, they're not supposed to know they're being investigated. Um, so when I got the phone call about the abuse, it was from my oldest daughter's biological father. He called me and told me. Um, and he told me not to say anything. Um, but of course, just being in shock and just in a complete rage, how could I not? <laughs> so as soon as I got off the phone, I went straight to where um, my ex-husband was. We were separated at the time, living in separate residences. Um, I went over there and stood in his mother's um, front yard, and he pulled up and got out of the car, and he's like, what are you doing here? And I just asked him, I said, you know, you've been molesting my daughter ever since she was little, like, what the hell is wrong with you? And he looked at me and he said, I don't have time for this and walked away. What? He don't have time for this, really? Right. And I think in that moment, it, I felt um, the evil presence within him more so than I ever did. Um, it just was shocking that someone who claimed that they love this child as their own would respond in such a way. Um, any normal, loving stepfather would be devastated by those allegations. Um, 
but his response alone spoke like a magnitude of truth yeah. for me. Um, I, I, so, I, I'd imagine I imagine that that it did because that's not the first thing you say when someone brings that type of allegation to you. Right, right. It, it was it was shocking to say the least. Um, so this would have been on the first day. Um, I I hadn't been contacted by detectives for so this this was on a Friday. I was not contacted by detectives until the following Monday. So that entire weekend, I was just kind of left in the dark with a lot of what had happened. I didn't know really any details at the time. Um, when they contacted me, you know, I told them that I had confronted them, confronted him, and they were angry with me. But you know, I told them, I said, "Well, you should have, you should have contacted me immediately um, when my daughter is saying this is happening, and you guys have taken a statement." Um, and giving me some instruction on what to do. So, you know, you can't hold me accountable for that. I, I wasn't aware. And we then, you know, scheduled our in-person interview slash interrogation. Um, and it was pretty intense. It was a very grueling process. You know, I had a lot of questions that I had to answer to authorities. And it, I... I I just, that particular, I call those seven days, seven, my seven days of hell, to be honest. Um, I was very confused as to why he wasn't in custody yet. Um, there's a series of protocols that they take to investigate these claims. Um, again, they try to do it in the dark without the, um, you know, without the accused person being aware of it. And one of the things that they did was they tried to have my daughter call him and get him on a recording admitting to something but he wouldn't answer the phone and i told them that there was no way he was going to admit to anything anyway um so that's one of the steps they take um and then she was also scheduled uh, an examination that week a forensics examination and that day of the examination they went ahead and made the arrest warrant and picked him up um, which was a very traumatizing experience within itself. Um, now, because we were separated, but we were married, we, prior to all of this, we had an agreement that the kids were staying with him during the week because I worked full time and they would come home with me on the weekends. So our four biological children and my oldest daughter was living with her dad at the time. Um, and the police told me that I had to keep our normal routine. So I was not able to go and get my children away from him, even though I knew that he was a predator. Wow. And that's what, yeah. And that's why I call it the seven days of hell, because I was so confused as to why they would allow that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I had to act normal with him. So, you know, he never even brought up my my um questioning of him on the first day he just acted like it never happened and so i had to as well um and just answer his phone calls and you know play the normal routine with him um and it was very emotionally draining i mean i would literally be trembling when he would call me and just trying to stay calm and not make things obvious and i would 
you know, I would lose it after we would hang up the phone. Um, just knowing my kids were there, just feeling completely helpless and confused, not knowing what our future was going to be, you know, not knowing when I was going to be able to see my oldest daughter again and talk to her and just hold her in my arms and tell her how much I loved her and how proud I was of her for being strong. Um, there was just a lot of, of confusion during that time frame. Um, a major sense of relief, obviously, once I was notified that he was detained. Um, but my children were present and they witnessed the entire arrest, which was very traumatizing for them as well. Oh, yeah, I bet it was. So let me ask yeah. you this. Let's go back. What and, and you said earlier you didn't want to get into details and you don't. But just kind of give us about around about what the children said happened. Like um, you were at work, of course, you wasn't around. Mm -hmm. um, is this something that, you know, he done through a period of years or yeah. what did they say happened? What did they say he did to them? Yeah. So um, I don't know a lot of the details. And the reason for that is because while you're – going through the court case um, before there's any kind of resolution you're not you're instructed not to probe your children and ask them questions and that's because if it did go to trial um, it could look like coercion right like I'm persuading their testimony so right okay so because a lot of the times if you ask a child a question they will give you an answer thinking that they're going to give you the answer that pleases you. Right, right. Right. So that that's another factor. So I was instructed not to do that. However, if they, if, well, at the time, again, I only, I only knew about my oldest daughter during this time period. So okay. if she was to come to me and open up, then, of course, I could be there for her. I could console her. And I just couldn't ask any specific questions. I did, however, go against the grain, and I couldn't help myself, but one time I asked her if he ever, you know, beat her while he was harming her sexually, um, and I think that was, I was taking the risk, but my mind was going in so many different directions of imagining the possibilities of what had been done, and I needed some kind of peace with that, right. uh, because okay. I think that just added to the level of um, just pain um, and she said no but he had threatened to um, so to answer your question um, it went on it started about a year I mean a month after we got married sorry with my oldest daughter who was only seven years old at the time she's 17 now wow. um, yeah so we had only been married for one month we already had one child in common um, and I got pretty pregnant pretty quickly with my third child after we got married so here I am pregnant with two daughters and he's, you know, um, grooming my oldest baby. Um, and so it lasted until three months prior to his arrest. So about five years or so of her young early childhood, she endured very systematic, almost daily sexual abuse. Oh my God. Um, my, yeah, my stepdaughter, on the other hand, she's about six months older than, than my oldest daughter. And I don't know much about what happened to her, um, simply because she's not my child. Um, however, I do have a relationship with her to this day, her and her mom, they're just 
they're amazing and we've really grown connected through this and supported one another which is you know such a huge relief um but i know that she endured quite a bit as well um i did hear some details some specific incidences that the detective um shared with me and that i also learned through therapy um because it was so traumatizing um my daughter wanted someone else to tell me on her behalf some of the things that she went through um she did disclose she did disclose that it was very systematic to the point to where she didn't remember a lot it didn't a lot of it didn't stand out because it was so routine wow so just it was so routine that the abuse became pretty much normal to this baby right i i wouldn't doubt it yeah i really wouldn't doubt it yeah because when Uh you're talking about years and them at a very young age it's like first of all they don't even know what that what that's about you know um, they're not understanding why this is happening they know it's not right but in some cases, I've talked to women where they felt they was abused so much it became it became the norm to them. Right. If that makes right. sense. It does. Exactly. And I think what's even more heartbreaking for me is a couple of things. Um, you know, I regularly spoke to my daughters about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Um, so there was always that you know, open door, hey, come and talk to mommy, I'm here for you, you know, things like this shouldn't be happening. Um, And secondly, um, especially for my oldest, she had her biological father in her life. So she knew what a loving father was. Um, And there was no custody order there or anything like that. You know, we just had a great friendship and an understanding of co-parenting. And so, you know, he picked her up regularly and she never showed any signs um, to any of us. And that's scary. So how did it how did how did it all come out? I mean, I know we you said it in the beginning, but get more in details of how this all got exposed. So, um, again, me and him were separated at the time. And so I had made the decision to um, send her to live with her father temporarily while I figured out my living situation. Um, And he was taking her to and from school every day um, because of my work schedule. So um, he he attended a parent teacher conference. She was in the eighth grade at the time. seventh or eighth grade i'm trying to think sorry um but anyhow so she attended he attended the junior high school and met with her science teacher and the science teacher um expressed concerns with her father that she was slipping in class she didn't seem like herself her grades were being affected and throughout this child's life she had always excelled as a student she was an honor roll student I never really had to be worried about, you know, making her do homework or even really checking up on her. She just really loved school. Um, And so, you know, when he heard that, he's like, that's really unusual for her. And the teacher acknowledged that as well. And so her father, you know, just said, well, her mom's going through a separation. She's living with me now. There's a lot going on. Maybe that's why. And so the teacher encouraged her to speak with the school counselor and introduced her to the counselor that evening 
um, you know, and they just reminded her, hey, if you ever need somebody to talk to, we're here for you. And it was the next morning that she wrote a letter to the school counselor saying, hey, my stepdad has been sexually abusing me and I'm pretty much tired of it. Wow. Um, so at that point, the counselor took action and uh, the school resource officer met with her that day and took her initial report. Um, and so her father found out about it when he went to pick her up from school that day. And that's when he called me. What was his response? He was angry. Of um, course. He was very angry. Um, I think, you know, he, unfortunately, he's, he's, he's in heaven now. He passed away um, in, in 2016, three months after everything happened. So that was another tragedy. Mm. Um, but, you know, he was ang angry. He was in shock. And I think that he felt like less of a man as well because he didn't see any signs. Well, you know, like I said before, you these these children that they're going through this, and Camille, you know, you've heard this before, where a lot of kids when they're so young they don't understand what's happening, but for some reason they know it's not right. They know they right. shouldn't be touched there. They know it, it, but it's like it's like they're I don't know. It's hard to explain. I mean, Camille, what what am I trying to say here? Because I'm not. I don't want to say it's the norm, but is, right. You you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I think it's more of when it's an adult and it happens to be like your parent. You know that it's wrong and you it's one of these things like you trust that parent or that adult figure. So even though you know it's wrong, at the same time you're not gonna say anything because it's your parent, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, and, and I see what you're saying. But, you, you know, know, it becomes it becomes normal to that child. They know it's not right. And then it seemed like years right. down the line, it's like, OK, I, I would maybe I would look for the word very. They become very uncomfortable uh, with with every situation, which would be normal. So that's basically what I'm trying to say. Right. And I think there is a level of, um, I don't know, loyalty that's mm -hmm. built there. Um you know, there's also a lot of fear because you don't, you know, when you expose something to this magnitude, as a child, you do not know, number one, who's going to believe you. And number two, what the outcome is going to be. So you're taking a risk of saying, hey, this happened to me. Who's going to believe me now? And will I be kept safe? Um, and I don't, I can't really speak for my daughter in that regard as to if she had those particular fears. Um, I know my stepdaughter really struggled with testifying against him. Um, she did not want to. It was very painful for her. That's her biological father at the end of the day. Um, and so the court strongly, I mean, literally strongly urged he take a plea deal um, to the point that the prosecutor had never really seen a trial judge hammer down on someone so hard um, to avoid these girls having to relive this trauma in court. Um, and that's the other side of things, you know, is, is what protections are available to them. They, they're just kids. They don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what have you been doing with working with them with the healing process? It's, it's, I've just come to the realization that it's probably going to take a lifetime. 
Um, I think that number one, taking care of myself has been a critical role in that because I had to be strong. I had to practice self-care, um, you know, so that I could be there for them because if I fell apart, they lose their mom too. And they've already lost their father. Right. Um, so to me, that was obviously a number one priority, um, because I was at that point I was all they had. Um, and secondly, being transparent and open, um, with allowing help to come in, you know, talking to therapists, realizing that these problems are bigger than myself. Um, somehow I just knew that you can't bury something like this because it'll just burst out later on in life and be so traumatic and come out in very negative ways that can impact their ability to function as adults. Um, so I had to swallow my pride and be open and honest with mental health professionals and therapists and, and people like that to get them the help they needed so that they could process the trauma now while they're young and it's fresh um, so that they can be nurtured into just successful, loving, gentle um, young women yeah. in life. Yeah. So had there ever been any time since when this first all come about, when you first found out about it, did you blame yourself? Did you have guilt to say that you probably blame this on yourself? I did. I did for a long time. Um, and every now and then I can feel that overwhelming sense of guilt come over me. And I have to remind myself that the only person responsible for these crimes is the person that's sitting in prison right now. Absolutely. And he's where he belongs. And I just think that that was a part of my trauma, you know, that I had to overcome was that guilt because there were so many other reasons to leave the marriage. It was already falling apart. He was not a good husband. And so I felt guilt in the sense of, wow, I tried to sustain a marriage that was not worth fighting for. And at the end of the day, he had his his way. Um, So I felt a lot of guilt. And then I started to think about our lives and, you know, how God is so amazing that You know, he provides a pathway for the truth to come out. And who's to say if I left him years ago that anything would have ever been said? Yeah. You know, Um, so everything happens for a reason. And I just had to learn to forgive myself and to love myself. Absolutely. And, you know, hopefully advocate for other mothers or women in a similar circumstance that there are resources out there to help you. And you do not have to go through this alone. And your ultimate goal should be to protect your children at all costs. Absolutely. Um, I know when I was speaking with Camille, um, you know, when we had our first interview, I was telling her that I think that a lot of women are afraid um, to do anything when they discover that their husband or partner is sexually abusing their children. They're afraid of losing the family unit. They're afraid of possibly having their children taken away by CPS and they're ashamed. Now, of course, there's probably those women that are just completely evil and wicked and they genuinely don't care. But for those that do, that do care and are just afraid, um, you know, I just want to remind them that CPS is there to help you. They're there for 
to reunify families that are in crisis. And this comes with the transparency that I was talking about. Um, I was investigated by CPS secondary to the investigation by detectives. And I had to prove my worthiness as a parent, that I was capable of protecting my children, that I genuinely loved them, and I never had an intention for this to happen. And it was very quickly known that I was a genuine mom because they could see my pain and devastation. Um, And they helped me a lot. They provided me free intensive in-home therapy. They provided me free childcare for my children. They helped me put a deposit on a new place for us to live. Um, And so I think that there's such a huge stigma attached to child protective services that's negative and it keeps people from utilizing services um, when families go through such a horrendous thing. But as victims of a crime, there are programs to help you. And I think that there should be such a huge emphasis placed on that so more women will come forward. Yes, yes. And me and you will talk about that later, too, uh, what me and Camille got going on. And you're right. And I'm so proud that you stepped up and said, no, that it was wrong. Uh, We, Camille and I, she'll tell you, talked to many people where families and even women's own mothers said no. We're not we're not going to expose this. And yeah, yeah, you did something different. I mean, Camille, you you, how many cases we hear this about all the time? All the time we hear we can't it's we it's not worth reporting to break up a family, to break up a marriage. Why have it out there? And when we hear that, we're kind of we hear it so much that but it still shocks us because when you're a mother I can never imagine telling my, not standing by my kids or saying it's not worth doing this, having it out there. I would have done anything and everything to protect my kids and have it out there to make sure that there was justice for my kids. So it is very refreshing to hear a mom advocate for her kids yes. as strongly as yes. you are. Yes, yes, I agree. Thank you. I agree. Um, that is a very, very powerful thing, a mother, you know, advocating for their child. Because you said something earlier when you said this is something that they're going to deal with. You don't know if they'll, even with the healing process, this will probably take a lifetime. It will. And I'm glad they're you recognized that. They're changed. Yeah. They're, they're changed. And, you know, I tell my daughters all of the time, first of all, I remind them that, they're still innocent and they're still pure. Um, and also to remind them that what happened was not their fault. Yes. Um, yes. Second, Great. secondly, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, they can take this and literally be a voice for the voiceless and say, Hey, me too. And, you know, there's a story behind everything that happens to us and you can either choose to, bury it and become dark and bitter and angry and lonely in life. Um, Or you can be a light in a dark place and just help other people. And even if it's only one person that you touch, your pain served a purpose. 
Um, and so, you know, I just try to remind them that when they are having a bad day um, or a bad moment that, hey, it's going to be okay. And number one, they're entitled to their feelings. You, you know, um, everyone is entitled to feel what they're feeling. Yep. The rage, the anger, the pain, the sadness, the fear, it's all natural. That's right. And everyone is always wanting to focus on positive emotions. Um, but the negative ones and the painful ones are just as real. So children need to be entitled to their feelings. Yeah, you, you were so right. You nailed it right on the head. You did. And I, I appreciate that. You know, uh, Rose, like I said just a few minutes ago, what you did was, you know, very brave. It took a strong mother to, you know, be able to keep yourself together. You know, when I asked you that um, you have guilt, that it made you feel guilty what happened. And you were able to pick yourself up, but you was able to help pick your children up. And, and that is just, I commend you. I really do. Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, it's a very brave thing to do as a strong mother. Well, um, Rose, we want to thank you for coming on the show. And, you know, keep continuing to do what you do. Uh, we will stay in touch. I like to hear when people say they want to advocate. And we need we need so many. We need them by the hundreds. We need them by the thousands because yeah. there, there are yeah. millions of victims that we don't even know about. Right. And, and so we, we need more people like you. Camille, before we go, uh, you want to tell our listeners about our new group and what we're doing. Yes. So the group that we've created is called Helping Victims Become Survivors. And we started this group to let the survivors know that we, like, we're a family. We're here for them. We want us all to stay connected. We want survivors to connect with other survivors so they have somebody that they can relate with and let them know you're not alone in this this walk that you've done. Um, I'm glad that this was something that we created to have everybody be connected. Um, I love to see that we can still just text and email them how are you and they can you know have a place where they can feel safe to relate to everybody and that was the whole part of creating this so um you know i i don't know remember if i've let you know in the interview but i would love for you to search for that group it's called helping victims become survivors and join that and there's just this army of women who support each other like families we're sisters we're connected as survivors so i would love for you to join this group and just know that you have you have a lot of people behind you for support that's awesome yes yes that's that's great okay well we run out of time and i want to just say rose thank you for coming on the show what you did uh you're being brave to come on and tell your story regarding your children um and, you know, like Camille was telling you, you know, about our group and what we got going on. So we'll definitely, definitely be in, you know, remain in touch. Thank you. I would like that very much. Yes. And you keep being the strong mother and the strong woman that you are. Thank you. All right. You stick around. Okay, guys. Like I said, we ran out of time, but I want y'all to know that we have Facebook, Instagram, and our Facebook is Crime Pursuit Podcast. 
come to our Facebook, interact with us. Camille, myself, Kate, we will interact with you. Other team members, we will interact with you. So come check us out. We don't, we don't turn anybody away. Kate's always on there. Camille's on there. Um, we got the Facebook group. We have a lot of stuff going on. So come and join us and interact. Crime Pursuit Podcast on Facebook. At Crime Pursuit on Instagram. All right. We got to go. Thank you for listening.